Welcome to another podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir. This podcast is sponsored by Impact Basketball. Coaching U has teamed up with Joe Abunasar and Impact Basketball to bring their coaching certification program to you. 85% of all of their coaches have gone on to coach at a higher level. Player development training by players and teams is the fastest growing part of the coaching profession. Separate yourself from the crowd by being a certified coach. I personally took the course, and it is fabulous. Outstanding quality of the videos and the teaching by Joe. For more information, visit impactbasketball.com, and that's impact, I-M-P-A-C-T-B-B-A-L-L.com. Get a discount of $100 off by simply using our discount code of Live. Coaching you live and as lowercase sensitive. And one of our favorite guests that we have, and a great friend of Coaching You and Kevin Eastman, is the author, speaker, and superstar friend, John Gordon. John, how are you, buddy? Doing good, Brendan. How are you? I'm awesome. You know, I love this time of year because uh, we both love competition, but I, I love March Madness uh, because of all the games, all the unpredictableness and stuff. But I know when you and I get together, we talk on the phone, we're always exchanging ideas of things we see real time. Um, what are some of your thoughts on, uh, let's say, even watching the games yesterday and stuff as, you know, we saw all these upsets in the first day? Yeah, you can see a, a team get tight because they have this pressure to win. They have this fear, actually, that they're going to lose. Mm-hmm. You can tell the teams that are – you know, listening to the hype and listening to the the media pundits talk about who should win and who should lose. And, and you know what I find is if you just execute and you just play your game and you're a coach that's really got your pulse on your team and you're making sure that they're focusing on the process, you're going to do great things. I, I can see the teams getting tight and how they start missing their shots, making the bad plays. You can see the nerves come out. I think the number one job of a coach right now during this time is to manage the emotions of your players, to know what they're thinking, and to help them think the right way. I think too many coaches are, are allowing the media to distract their players, distract their teams. They got to do a better job of that, I, I believe. What are your thoughts on that, Ben? Well, you know, I, I think one of the things is I think you can't do it. Like some people try to all of a sudden start doing that the day or the week of the game. I think that's something that – you know, you don't change culture or, or the way your team's going to play in a day or two. I mean, that's a process that you have to, you know, and I'm, you and I are big on process. I think it's something that has to be constant all the time, like practice. That's a great point. I mean, you got to start from day one during training camp, investing in that culture and that mindset and that belief that you want to create and the mindset you want your team to have. So often I'll get requests to speak to a team, like, say, during the season when they have some struggles. And you know what? It never works. I am never the magic mm. pill, never the magic formula. It never works because I realize speaking in books, we're not the ones that make a difference. The one who makes a difference is the coach. It is the leader. And you have to be so focused on building that mindset and process from the beginning of the season. You nailed it, Brendan. What you do at the beginning, you carry it through. By the time you get to the, the playoffs, you're already thinking that way. But, but. You know, a coach needs to take the stress off of his or her team. 
the coach needs to take the stress and allow the team, you know, to provide, to be their best in that environment. The coach needs to provide an environment that allows the players to just go do what they do. I mean, you can tell. You can tell a team starts to win. They have an unpredictable victory. Even now, the teams that have the upset, the minute they start thinking about it, the minute they start to recognize where they are and say, oh, wow, we actually won. The minute they actually have this mindset that, oh, maybe we can win the next one, the minute they start to feel pressure on themselves, they're not going to play the same way, and it's going to sabotage their victory. So I love the headline that says, you know, don't, don't focus on the headlines and the clippings because, you know, the clippings today, the paper today becomes the fish wrap tomorrow. Yeah. I had a call from one of a, a basketball college coach that was in the Final Four a few years ago, and he called me about a month ago, and he said, uh, Brendan, I've got a problem with my team. And I said, well, what is that? i got problems with my team. What, you know, what are yours? And he said, I'm finding young people are really struggling handling pressure. Thoughts on that? I think that, you know, you're just there. You know, we think these young people, they're invincible to that, and they don't even know what pressure is. They're too young to know what pressure is. The pressure's on me, the coach. But I think so much of it is on them, especially the really good players. Yeah, I think they feel the pressure. I think, um, I think you know, these players feel the pressure more than ever because, especially with social media, they're reading what people are saying. That's exactly what he said. The social media is killing his team. You're 100% right. Yeah, so the fans are are setting things their way. The fans the fans are are writing things. They're reading what the media is saying. But their their buddies, their families, the expectations of the university. Mm-hmm. You're right. I believe that there's more pressure than ever. You know, Gus Bradley and I were having a great conversation. He's the coach of the Jaguars, and we were just talking about the difference between pressure and stress. And as a coach, you want to remove stress from your players. These are things that they cannot control. So you never want to say, we're going to win. You're never going to say, hey, we're going to the dance this year. Hey, look at how our team is playing. we got a great chance to win. The minute you start to focus on that, you've now put stress on your players. Because you know what? They can't always control whether they're going to win or not. They control their effort, you know, their attitude, and their actions to be a great teammate. But they can't really control, ultimately, the outcome because, one game, another team may just play better than you, right? So so the stress part you want to remove. But you want to apply pressure, as the coach Gus was telling me. Pressure says – so we're using pressure and stress differently. The term you used earlier was pressure. That's really stress. Ah, the media good. is like stress. That. Yeah, social media, that creates stress on a player. Gotcha. The, pressure you want to, the pressure you want to apply is pressure is a privilege. Pressure is an opportunity to compete and to perform. So pressure is anything that you can actually control. So gotcha. you want to put pressure on your players. Hey, guys, I don't care what happens today, but I want to see amazing effort today. Let's have effort and energy, like Calipari said. You know, Calipari, I can tell he's doing things the right way because he's saying, hey, it's 0-0. Zero, zero. We're 0-0 zero, zero right now. One game at, game at a time. We're going to focus on, on the process. We're going to have energy and effort. So everything he's talking about is key to a, a team win. But what I see a coach in the media being interviewed on Jim Rome or one other show like that or ESPN, and the minute they start talking about, hey, we're going to win, we're going to go to the dance, it's exciting, blah, 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 they have now put stress on their players, and they have harmed their players' chance and their team's chance of actually playing their best ball. You know, you, I, I had the privilege of going down, and, and I say truly a privilege. You know, when uh, two weeks ago, when you and I and 
were down in West Palm Beach, and you and the legend, the Hall of Famer, Ken Blanchard, were putting on this incredible six-hour workshop on the power of positive leadership. Uh, to me, it was a uh, you know one of those bucket list things where now all of a sudden uh, I, I, I walked out of there way better than I was when I walked in, you know, and, and congratulations, as I've told you many times, to you and Ken. But you, you talked a lot about that day. The things that I took out of it, as much as I think I'm in tune to it, you know, were about, you know, things like a personal mission statement as a coach, you know, the the idea of having the values and the culture and that whole thing. That's that's the foundation for this house of a team, correct, John? Oh, very much so. You know, I think everyone's getting the concept of culture and leadership and positive leadership. And, you know, I, I like, Brendan, you and I lately have been talking about, you know, what are coaches doing wrong? What could they do right? Mm-hmm. I think as a, as a coach, you know, as a leader, we need to address, you know, the challenges we're facing. I know every day I'm evaluating myself. Man, what I do wrong? Oh, I need to do this better. You know, a coach has to be open to saying, hey, what am I doing wrong? How can I better lead my team? What negatives am I bringing? What positives can I bring out? And Ken and I really address in that power of positive leadership is the challenges that leaders face, but then what they can do to build a great culture. What can they do to focus on the process? What can they do to making sure that they're investing in their team and, and really putting their team first. You know, is it about the wins and losses or is it, is it about ultimately developing the players and helping them be the best that they can be? I was just with the Pittsburgh Pirates, right? And I mm-hmm. love it because their whole culture is about building better men. This is a pro team, right? Talking about yeah. that. Not a college team, not a high school team. They are relentless with their culture. They are truly, I mean, from coach, minor leagues. When I was going to speak there, I was going to speak to the major leaguers because Clint Hurdle invited me, but then I get, you know, a call from the assistant GM saying, hey, John, while you're here, will you speak to the minor leaguers? Because our culture starts there. We want everyone to hear it so they're all hearing the same message. And so they are relentless with their culture and building better men. Because if they believe if you build a better man, you will have a better athlete, a better player, and ultimately a better human being, a better organization. Again, that's that's culture. What culture are you creating as a coach? What mistakes are you making? Start looking at that. Start looking at what you need to do better. I do this all the time as a dad, try to evaluate myself, improve and get better. And then uh, what actions do you need to take immediately and then tomorrow? One of the things of, you know, several of the teams, but one in particular that you worked with this year, uh, and I'm going to say it, the Atlanta Falcons, we love Mike Smith. He's one of the best guys, one of the best guys. Really bought into your culture and stuff, right? Fair to say? Yeah, yeah. And here's my question. We love him. We like his players. No problem. Okay. They had a bad year. When you see your season as a coach that believes in positive leadership, things aren't going right. He had tons of injuries. You know, you don't have now the replacements. You don't have this. And it's one of those years where everything's kind of going wrong. What can I do as a coach, as a leader? to bring my team back, maybe? How can I salvage it? Any ideas? Yeah, that, yeah it's, a great, it's a great question. And when I was with the Pirates, they said that winning is a great deodorant. It covers yeah. up a lot of the things that stink. And <laughs> when you start to losing, when you start to lose, that starts to expose all the challenges that you really have. So I think it's during that time where you become self-reflective 
you know, I'm sure Mike wishes he had another year to be able to improve upon the things that happened. First five years, no coach won more games than he did the first five years. The last two, obviously very unsuccessful, so he gets fired. I believe if he had another year, he would have turned things around. But those injuries exposed all of the challenges and things that that Mike maybe had let his guard down with. And he actually, right. as a coach, was out saying, hey, what I do wrong, what I, lear- what I learned from this, and he's now going to share this. He and I are writing a book together. Oh, wow. uh, we're going to share this. We're going to share this with other coaches, the mistakes that he made and the successes he had. So, hey, here's what you can learn from our first five years. Here's what I want you to learn from the last two so it doesn't happen to you. Like, even Saban in, in Alabama will right. tell you that because there are times they let their guard down. There are times they become complacent. There are times they allow the media to take over the program instead of the messaging internally, right? So they, they can oh, tell yeah. that so even a team like that and a relentless coach like that, it still happens. So then as you and your team must be looking at this going, hey, if it can happen to Alabama, it surely can happen to us. we got to guard against this. we got to be aware of it. So we have to make sure that we are constantly sharing the message, constantly reinforcing it uh, with your guys. Don't say, well, we're, you know, uh, we're allowing our leaders to dictate this year. No, you have to dictate it with your leaders on the team to make sure that you are relentless with that culture and the team belief. Because Mike will tell you that, you know, there, there are things he let his guard down on, and uh, he's not going to blame anyone else. I believe there, are, there is an opportunity to blame others, but he'll never do it. He's the kind of coach that will say, hey, what did I do wrong? How can I get better? And he's at, you know, when he comes back, he's going to be a lot better coach in the process. You know, what? Uh, one of the things that I, I've seen, uh, you know, working with coaches, observing other coaches, is that when things do go bad, I see the coach change. I see the coach that loses his values. And all of a sudden now, they shift the blame to the players. That they don't, that they're almost absolved from any responsibility because I'm a coach. I'm a great coach. And if I say, I have to be really strong to say, hey, it's my fault. I take responsibility because they're worried about their job. What, yeah. what, what thoughts on that and observations have you had? Um, I'm really glad you said that because I see the same thing. It's like the coach blames the players for their effort. They blame the players for, for not showing up. It's like, no, wait, if your team is not showing up, if they're not giving 100% effort, whose fault is that? You know, as the coach, what have you done all season to make sure that they will show up? What have you done all season to make sure that they are engaged, that they bought in? What have you done to make sure that they care? So the first person a coach should always look at is himself. But you're right. right. The mistake that coaches make is they blame the players. They blame the team. That is a surefire recipe for losing trust, for losing your team. The best coaches during losses and during downturns, they maintain their consistency. They have to be consistent in who they are and what they do. A lot of coaches will come in, right, and they'll be like, hey, players coach and building great relationships and all that. The minute the team starts to lose, then they become a hard guy. They become a hard ass, and they start to change. Well, then the player says, who are you? I Mm. can't trust you because you're like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. You just went from this to something else. It's like a player in the locker room who's moody. You can't trust the player in the locker room who's moody. You have to be consistent with your attitude and your approach and your principles through the losses. It's, it's, 
character during the downturns that we remember during the successes. And it's the character during those downturns that will help you ultimately build a success in the future. So too many coaches, they start to change. They blame others. The greatest thing you can do during a season, be consistent. Be mm-hmm. consistent. At 08, at 08, be consistent. Our friend Tom Flick tells us the story about Joe Gibbs when he was with the Redskins and they were they were losing a lot in the beginning. And I think they were 0-8 in the beginning of the season. And Joe had Gibbs a really lost bad his game. first eight games coaching in the NFL. That is correct. Yep. And they had a re- and, and Tom said they had a really bad game, and the players thought, okay, now we're going to get it. That's it. Now he's going to go off. Coach Gibbs walks in the locker room and says, guys, we're getting close. <laughs> you know, we're getting and, and And so because he saw something, an effort, an attitude that he really liked, and they maintained that, and sure enough, he starts winning. You know, yep. it's going to be interesting to see these coaches that – you know, stick to those principles. Now, everyone says it's harder today, John. You know, you have to win right away or else you're getting fired. That's true, but that's the outside world expectation. But let me tell you something. You can't violate the principles of nature. You can't violate the principles ultimately of God. You have to invest in the root if you want the fruit. Hey, that is nature. If you focus on the fruit first, ignore the root, the tree will die. So as a coach, stick to the root. Stick to your principles, stick to your culture, be consistent, and the fruit will come. Hey, you reminded me of something when, uh, gosh, I think it was Chuck Chuck Daly in my first year with the Magic. We had Penny Hardaway and Horace Grant. We had a nice team, you know. And all of a sudden, we're playing Miami Heat. Riley's got a team. He's got, he's got some squad. I mean, they're the best team in the East with, you know, and all of a sudden, it's a night, I'll never forget, it's a Wednesday before Thanksgiving. We're playing a home game in Orlando, and we can't score. They are so good defensively. They beat us like 90 to 66. I mean, just crush us. It's an embarrassing home loss. And we go into the press conference, and Chuck sits there. And this is a time when a big-time Hall of Fame coach, she had already been in the Hall of Fame four or five years, it was a time, he'd already won the Olympics and the, you know, the back-to-back championship. It was a time where you could say, hey, Penny didn't play well, Horace was terrible. You know, it was that type of game where you could do that. And he just said, it's very simple, Pat Riley outcoached me. It's that simple. That's awesome. I take full responsibility. He let those guys off the hook. And you know what? That That was a man's man. And you know what? We had a terrific ending to that season because they, I think they saw, you know, and this was a 68-year-old man that said, it's not about them, it's about us all together, but I'll take responsibility for it. And it was a great lesson for me because he was always teaching, you know, that it's not the player's fault, it's all of ours, you know. Uh, one of the things that now there's a lot of job changes in all sports at the end of seasons, it's almost like a hunting season. In the NFL, we had Black Monday. Remember, I mean, there's six, they, it's like almost a game. Are there going to be six, seven, eight guys fired? It's terrible. And now we're in the college process right now of, you know, colleges. And the thing is, we don't have that many Division One teams changing hands right now. But you know what we have a ton of, John? Division Three. Division Three. These are the non-scholarship college teams. There's more yep. changes in Division Three than there are in Division One. And so there's change. Now, 
change is good sometimes. We both recognize and appreciate that. But when there, why why would there be a change, or why should there be a change? And then, what if you're going to implement change, where would you start? Well, let me ask you, why is there a lot of change in Division Three right now? I'm just curious on that. I, I don't know. That's my thing. Is it? I mean, the, the salaries obviously aren't that much. Are they that concerned? And, and you know what? I studied it because I wanted to find out the same thing. A couple of folks were retired. They had been there an awful long time. Okay, that's fine. Then there were others that were like three and fifteen in their conference, and one of and two of the jobs were in one of the best academic leagues and one of the nicest basketball leagues in Ohio. A traditionally wonderful league, and and so. You know, I, I think winning uh, has a lot to do with it and stuff, even at those kind of schools. But I've seen the changes at every level, NAIA, junior college, et cetera, and Division Two. there's a ton. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm more concerned, maybe this is, I'm going to answer somewhat my own question, in football, basketball, et cetera, that we're changing based on what we call transactional coaching, which is wins and losses, as opposed to what you and I believe in transformational coaching, of turning men and women into uh, boys and girls, really, into men and women, and developing men and women uh, as being one of the real purposes of our job. Yeah, I think first and foremost, your job as a coach is to create a great culture. It's to make sure you set the vision, make sure you have a set of principles for leadership that you and the team are going to live by. Those are values. It's sharing those values. It's connecting with your players, coaching, mentoring, guiding, developing. It's recruiting, you know, new talent to be there with you. It's, it's being a, a great, you know, game day coach as well, a great practice coach that develops and trains and guides and, and gets people better. Your job is to get better every day. So I would say, hey, if a coach is getting people better every day, if they're doing their job recruiting, if they have a bunch of injuries that year, of course they shouldn't be fired. If the coach – is not connecting with the players, if the coach is not continually building a culture, if you're not seeing progress in that area, you're not seeing growth, well, yeah, then I think change is warranted. But if you see that the coach is doing everything right and you see that they're making progress and you can see that, okay, we're adding one part each year that we're getting better and better here, and you could see the process taking hold, then I believe, you know, you should stick with that coach and continue to let that coach develop. John Wooden didn't win his first championship right until his 17th season. Yeah. I mean, people say, there's no way you could do that today. And you, you know what? You probably can't, not in, in today's world. But, but sometimes success takes time. So are you seeing growth? Are you seeing improvement? And is the coach doing the right things? That's when you don't change. And you know what? Sometimes, you know, change is good. Sometimes we need change. But sometimes we change, and we keep changing GMs in an organization. We keep changing coaches in an organization. We keep changing administration. And when that happens, you don't take hold, and you, your 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 principles can't take root. And that's when you have challenges. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there is a good reason to change a lot of things in life. I mean, obviously, if you're eating bad foods, you should change and eat healthy foods. If you're leading a bad life and uh, not keeping good hours, et cetera, you should change the way you are. If you're not serving others, you should change the way you are. So it's about what you're changing to. Uh, I think uh, one of the big things that you and Ken emphasized uh, in West Palm was 
And I think a lot of coaches really are missing this point. We think we're so invested in exits and O's and basketball, football, et cetera, and the strategy of the game. And the players, the talent of the, you know, our team, you know, people, literally a coach told me yesterday on the phone, yeah, you think it's all about this other junk. It's all about talent. Ooh, that wasn't fun for me to get that call, uh, to have that argument with that coach, because he was wrong. Talent is important. Yeah, X's and O's are overrated. Yes. And, X's and, and O's are overrated. And so one of the things that, you know, a great statement that I took from you and Ken was if you lose your culture and your values, you lose your way, right? And you lose the way that you're going, and it loses really your purpose of what you're doing, correct? Oh, very much so. And I think there's a lot of misconception out there. If I just have talent, we're going to win. But team beats talent when talent isn't a team. So we look at what Billy Donovan did last. We look at what Billy Donovan did last year with his team, and we look at coaches do with maybe less talented players, and yet that team performs very well against a bunch of superstars. Now, don't get me wrong; you do have to have talented players, right? You got to have people who can actually execute, and you're going to need talent. But talent by itself is not going to win. Now, if you have the culture, and you have the purpose, and you have a team that plays well together. And then you have talent. Well, then, wow. Then you're going to have an amazing team. But there's too many people out there that think it's all about strategy. Actually, knows. I was at a clinic a few years ago, Brendan, and it was for football, though. And I was talking about culture. This was before, you know, a lot of people started reading the Energy Bus and my other books. But I'm there, and the X and O clinics were jam-packed. And my culture clinic had, like, five <laughs> people in it. And I thought <laughs> – they they don't understand the power that drives everything. They were so enamored with X and O's. Now, here's the thing. X and O's are important. Strategy is important. But eventually, the other team is going to have another strategy. Strategy will go against other strategy. But as Apple is famous for saying, culture beats strategy. Culture determines whether your strategy will be successful. Because you may have the right play, but if you haven't had a culture of faith and you have a culture of fear and the guy's worried about missing the shot, guess what? That play call is not going to work because of the culture of fear. You have a culture of faith and a belief that, hey, I believe in you. That culture, come game time, come tournament time, will play out and manifest itself in great things. Hey, tell tell the people that are uh, that are listening the difference between faith and fear. I think this is really important. Yeah, they both believe in a future that hasn't happened yet. So fear worries about a negative future, but faith focuses and believes in a positive future. And the idea is that if neither has happened yet, right, why wouldn't we choose to believe in the positive future? Why would we choose to believe in a negative future? So it's about having faith, and it's about going out every day expecting the next shot, the next play, the next moment uh, to be great. It's having a positive expectation about the future. And that's what great teams and great coaches do. You know, culture is so important, and the leader is ultimately the one who drives the culture, especially in a basketball program. And so you often see the players, they become a, a manifestation of, of their coach's leadership and values. And so, again, when the coach blames the players for not playing well or for the game, you and I are always like, what are they doing? It's the coach. Of course, you know, they're an extension of the coach. So the coach needs to look at himself, blame himself, and say, i got to do a better job coaching these guys. i got to help them be better. We're going to do things differently. Coach goes back to the drawing board, gets the guys in the room, gets the girls in the room, they talk together. They become a team that believes in one another. And you watch when you do that, 
and you're there for each other, you're going to compete against the other teams in a much more powerful way. You know, you um, if you were going to take over a team, a women's team, a girls' team, it doesn't really yeah. matter. It doesn't really matter to sport. Where would you start your focus on? Where, 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 where would where would you kind of start? It's a brand new program. It's at the college, It's at the high school level. Let's say it's at the high school level first. You know, and you're, and you're coaching a varsity sport. It doesn't really matter whether it's soccer, yeah. lacrosse, basketball, baseball. It doesn't matter. What, where would you? You know, what, what would you kind of? Where would you kind of go? Yeah, great. That's a great question. I would start first and foremost with culture, and the question would be, why are we playing? Ooh. I would first discuss our wow. why. Why do I? Why do I coach? And why are we playing? And I would say, it's not to ultimately win or lose. It's to become better human beings. Right. I would say we want to win, and we play to win. We get everything we have to win. So, so we do value. We want to win. That's why you're playing, right? You're competing ultimately to win. But we know that winning is just a byproduct of how we focus on our culture and our why and our purpose and who we are. So first and foremost, it would just be like, hey, why are we playing this game? And then I would set what our culture stands for. What do we stand for as a team? Because once you know what you stand for, every decision you make is easy. And Brendan, I do have I did coach I did coach youth girls basketball, so I have to let you know. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, I'm sure you had a lot of plays. <laughs> we had no, we had we had we had Sydney Cersei who's going to Florida. <laughs> so we had, <laughs> so I like we, that. We, we had yeah, we now we did have talent. I'm going to say that, but. But we did beat Christian Leitner's team because he was coaching the other team, the other girls' team, and he was getting so angry that is, on the other sideline. That, that is, that is, I, you've, I've heard you tell that story. It's a great story. And the other day, it, you were the one that gave that title to the movie, a thirty for thirty movie, because that day you said, "I hate Christian Leitner." I remember that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I actually, I actually liked, I actually liked him. But we just had a lot more positive energy on our team, no, and we were playing. We had. We had more, but we had no, the truth is that we were having more fun. We were playing. So I would say, what do we stand for? All right, we're about fun. We're about growing. We're about getting better. We're about serving each other and our team. I would identify the values that we stand for. And then I would make sure I highlighted those values every single practice, made sure I recognized people for living and breathing those values. And I would ultimately make sure that my culture was built on that. On, on everything we stood for. Now, the last thing I would do would be the X and O's. That would be the last yes. thing I'd do, but I would call you up and say, Brendan, I need an <laughs> offense. So then I would call people who – so I would actually bring in an expert because that's not my expertise, and I would say, hey, I would have an assistant coach who knew X and O's who would then be able to deliver the X and O's. You're going to be a front man. I like that. Yeah, I yeah. like that. <laughs> uh, uh, when uh, you know, when uh, I, I thought uh, we discussed this during the season, when Belichick goes to Kansas City, third, fourth game of the year, and they get drilled on Monday Night Football, literally the next day, Tuesday morning, on ESPN and on all the radio shows, they are literally saying Brady's done. Belichick might trade him and play Garofalo, their second-round pick, and that the Patriots are toast. It's over for them. And remember, Belichick then gives the news conference, the, the greatest news conference in history, you know, when they keep asking him questions about whether the, all those things are going to happen, and he keeps saying, we're on to Cincinnati or whoever the heck they were playing, you know. And the 
the result of the end of that week was that they found out that he circled his team, no hard practices, no screaming and yelling, and basically said, I believe in every one of you guys, and basically it's us against the league, you know, and let's let's just focus on us. Don't worry about the outside noise. Just believe in each other, play for each other, et cetera. That's simple a message. I mean, ridiculously simple. And they go out and they destroy them and win, I think, all except for about one game the rest of the year. Kind of amazing, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it wasn't it like some magic dust or anything like that. And literally had guys that became running backs that weren't even playing in the league and came in and run for 200-plus yards. And then the guy shows up late, and the guy doesn't play the rest of the year. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, he has a culture of execution and one of discipline and one of believing in others. And, uh, you know, it, it, it appears, even though he's a very bright guy, so simple, John, right? It is, and as you're saying that, what I'm thinking for the coaches listening is that you have to be so convicted and confident in in who you are as a coach that you realize it's not about you. You actually have to be so strong that you have to not let the outside world affect you. You actually have to have a strong character but a weak ego because you have to be willing to – so you know what, we're going to stay the course. I believe in what we're doing. And if people are saying I'm a bad coach and people are saying we're going to be a horrible team, you have to be so strong with your team and so convicted in your belief in what you're doing that you have to be able to overcome that and not let that affect you. Because I really believe the reason why the coaches start to say, you know, guys, we just lost. Look at the media saying about you and make them work harder that week and make them, like, you know, pay for it and punish them, which a lot of coaches do. It's because their ego is being affected and attacked, and their value and self-worth as a coach is being affected. So they're actually feeling less than, so now they try to get their team to perform in a higher way. But that shows that Belichick had the confidence, as he should have, right, in his team and himself and and what they do and how they do it to know, okay, we're going to stay the course and we're not going to let the outside world dictate how we lead. We're not going to let the world and the media dictate how we go about our business. We're going to be so strong on the inside that we perform on the outside. And I think that's the key to building a great team, to be that coach that says, I'm going to serve, I'm going to have humility, and I'm going to be egoless, and I'm going to help my players get better. I'm going to protect them. As you said, Coach Chuck Daly did, I'm going to stand by them. And when you do that as a coach, you're in their trust, their loyalty, they'll play with more passion, commitment, and that's when a, a team starts to take hold. John, problem that's facing coaches, I get texts from the most. Okay, I've got a really difficult player. How do I coach him? Give me one tip that I could use. How do I approach him? Yell at him, scream at him, uh, make him run. What what do I do to that gal or or young boy that I am coaching that I'm having problems with reaching? Well, first thing I would say to you as a coach is that you're leading the team you have for a reason. They're meant to make you a better coach and a better leader. So you have to look at that player, that that player is here to make you a better coach. So I would first put the question back to you. What are you doing to get to know that player? What are that, what's that player's strengths? What's their weaknesses? How do they like to be led? Does pushing their buttons work? Does, does challenging them work? Do they need more love? Do they need more encouragement? Do you need to spend more time investing in that player? 
I would say, hey, you need to get to know that player a lot better. And once you get to know that player, you're going to know what you need to do for that player. So I think a lot of times the fact that you haven't taken the time to invest in that player one-on-one, you haven't taken the time to develop the relationship with that player, so that's why you don't know what to do. But if you take the time to invest in that player, then you'll have a better idea. Now, if you really are investing in that player, but that player is just really hard to figure out, they're, they're so dysfunctional that, that it's not working, well, at that point, then we can figure out a strategy. But I would need to know more and about that player and the challenges. Coaches call me all the time, and you know, we try to devise a strategy and figure out a – you know, a method, but I think first and foremost, you didn't know that player. Like, like, I love the interview with, you know, Coach Cal and Willie Cauley-Stein, and you can tell that they've spent a lot of time together, you know, doing a book club together and reading together, and you know what? Coach pretty much knows what Willie needs. He knows how to motivate him and inspire him, and you can tell that in their time together that they get each other, and I think that's really important for for a, a coach and a player. I love the 30 for 30 with Christian Lehner. You can tell that, that Coach K at first, you know, you know, he was not easy, Christian Lehner, but Coach K figured out how to coach him. And you're not going to coach every player the same way. It's like we, I have two kids, you have several kids. You know you don't parent them the same way. You have to parent them differently based on who they are. So it's the same thing. John, our listeners got to see what you and I are here, what you and I talk about every phone call. So thank Coaching you thanks you for coaching me, as always. Thanks, my friend. Thanks, Brendan. Thanks for getting me better.